there are two words that I'd like to leave you with today. As you know, we're showing and sharing with you rewinds of previous interviews that we thought were just very, very helpful and very poignant. We've gotten a lot of uh, remarks and, re and comments from folks about these, uh, these interviews that we're sharing. And so I want to share one with you today that will really, I think, kind of get you in the frame of mind uh, to really start recharging and thinking about shutting things down. Can I refresh? Can I get myself ready for the new year? And so the two words I want you to think about today and the rest of the week, the two words are these, courage and joy. Courage and joy. I want you to be courageous enough to embrace joy wherever you can find it. No matter how small, no matter how minute someone else might think it is, embrace joy where you find it. And I, the reason I use the word courage is because sometimes we're listening to so much, so much information, really appreciate the updates, really appreciate the warnings and things like that. We've got so many things going on. I, as you know, I don't use the word COVID, nor do I use the word pandemic. I use the word disruption. I use the word disruption because there are so many other things happening all around us looking at the weather, looking at uh, the virus and those kinds of things. But what I want you to do, I want you to get laser focus, get laser focus on the two words, courage and joy, courage and joy. Be courageous enough to embrace joy where you find it. And you know, this time of year, you can find joy in almost anything. Sometimes the simplest things, can you find joy? I want you to embrace that because when we embrace joy and we have the courage to do that, it allows us to be more optimistic. It allows us to be more future thinking. It allows us to be happy about the new year. We will have a program, a podcast that will come to you on the 24th and the 24th is Christmas Eve. And guys, hopefully you understand where I'm coming from with having courage taking the courage, just kind of resting control of what the situation is and embracing courage and grabbing joy wherever you can find it. I am sure that this upcoming interview will give you the kind of pause that you need to prepare for next, prepare for the holidays, however large, small, and try to be safe, as safe as you possibly can be, but make sure that you are embracing joy and that you have the courage to do that. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the rest of your Friday, the weekend, preparing, and also being ready to embrace joy, having the courage to embrace joy. We'll see you next week. Enjoy the rest of your day and enjoy this interview. And as usual, I am super stoked for my guest today, Dr. Lena Matezzi. Lena and I worked together uh, at the Center for Creative Leadership and she left me, you know, like just dumped me, dropped me like third period French, right? Just dropped me. And she's doing some phenomenal work uh, in the public education, higher education space, which is all a part of public service. And so I wanted to welcome her on and she has a phenomenal leadership journey and I wanted her uh, to share that with you. So Lena, welcome. Thank you so much. I, um, you know, you, it's so interesting being asked to tell your journey. Don't you think LD? Like, I where do you so, yeah. start? <laughs> <laughs> well, 
where do you start? And I was, I was thinking about this and I have to say, I'm a girl from nowhere. That's where my journey starts mm -hmm. is being a girl from nowhere. And when it comes to public service for me, maybe this happened to you as well, but I've had these two tensions in my life, right? I want to do well for myself and do well for others. Mm -hmm. And those have always played out and fed into my journey. That That is phenomenal. And let me tell you something. I am dying to hear it. Guys, I've heard part of her story. You know, we were together for a, a big client with CCL, and she and I were at the same hotel. We had, to, we had to coalesce and share and compare notes during breakfast, and I want to hear even more, and I want her to share that with you. So as you know, we're talking about public service and looking at it from a different lens. And mm -hmm. Lena has a fabulous journey, and it's a securitist journey, as she said. She's a girlfriend. From nowhere and I want to hear more about that and I'm sure you do so Lena if you would go ahead and talk about your leadership journey tell us what you're doing right now why you made the shift and anything else you want to share with us so please sure so well, I'm gonna I'm gonna go from the beginning to the current and then tell in between so I was born to a young 17 year old unmarried woman um, I was born in 1967 in California during the summer of love, and we were living it big and hard and wide, right? Um, and so I spent my formative years growing up on a carnival, and then I graduated, you know, that was moving every week, and then I graduated to uh, um, my brother's father took us in and he was a truck driver. So then we moved every few months. So I had a really, I had a really interesting take on life, right? I thought life was mobile. <laughs> you were you were moving places, you were moving people, you were moving things. And I learned to hustle really early on. It's funny that hustle's a word, a, you know, a, a phrase that the young generation uses now because because I did hustle before it was cool <laughs> back in the day. And so what I mean by that though is I developed a knack to use my gift of communicating to earn money for myself and my family and to, to play in those, uh, in those entrepreneurial businesses. Where I am now is I am, a, a, I have a PhD in leadership and I uh, am an associate professor. I just get tenure this year. I'm an associate professor, woo, woo, associate professor uh, of, in a school of business, associate professor of management. And I, um, I also direct an MBA program with 72 fabulous students in it right now. Um, how did I get there? Well, it all came out of being able to make money <laughs> and being able to serve people because when I was uh, when I was quite young, I became, uh, many people have this LD, many people become mothers or parents to their siblings. And, and I had an opportunity to take more of a mothering role with my brother. And so, right, that drives these two needs coming out of my life, the need to take care of myself and the need to take care of others. And I think that thread has played out. So I've had, I've had um, corporate jobs, I've worked ev every, every degree I've had, I've worked while I was getting it, because I need that realness, like learning isn't learning until I can apply it. I like that. So for me, leadership is this strange combination of following, applying, and then noticing that people are behind me. <laughs> Has this happened to you? I, I'm a really great follower. And so since I came into the world with so little, I 
became very adept at watching those around me. And I have a, I have a strong curiosity, a very deep and wide curiosity. And so I just, I just followed people really well. And then I could take the best of them and begin to apply that in my own life. And for me, leadership has been for most of my life, less intentional than intentional. I think I started studying it because I wanted to understand what was happening and I wanted to help people be better at it. Wow, you said so many things. <laughs> oh my gosh. I want you to noodle out even more. I love what you said. You said, I came into the world with so little, so I watched other people. And I think, as you, as you know, observation is such a pivotal skill for leaders. So talk more about just observation and and how that plays into leadership and us developing into the leaders Mm -hmm. that we want to be. Because something Mm -hmm. else you said, I watched a lot of people, had a lot of great leaders, but I took a little from this one, a little from that one, and I put it together and really made what I wanted. And so talk about that even more, Mm -hmm. observation, and Mm -hmm. then taking from people what we need to become Mm -hmm. who we want to be. So talk more about that. Yeah. So, I mean, we're one of a kind. And and so part of being a leader, I think, is finding the courage to be the one of a kind you. And one of the ways you can, and, you know, we use fancy words like brand, but for me, it's survival. Like I had to become the one, one in a, one, the only one on the planet of me. I had to become her. I had to figure out who she was and live out of her joyfully and soulfully and productively. Uh, And one of my greatest assets and resources as I was doing that were people who had a vibe. You know what I mean? You know, you know how leaders have that vibe. It's not the extroverted. They're the introverted one. There is something about them that sets them apart. That makes you, makes you interested in them or interested in what they're creating or doing. And I just paid attention to those vibes. A lot of times at first it was school teachers and then it became bosses or uh, organizational leaders. And I think, I think people have always liked mentoring me um, because I'm, I'm really eager to learn. I will apply quickly. You know, that you, you hit on something again that, uh, that I want you to noodle out even more is when you talked about those teachers, those educators mm-hmm. that came into your life. And look at you. You are in that. You've, you've touched on several. You've been, been in several spaces corporate, nonprofit, whatever, but you've come back. It seems like your home is there in education. Mm-hmm. So talk about what drives you with around education and, and the opportunity to shape. Because I think everybody, me, me, my audience, everybody can say that there's one teacher or a couple mm-hmm. of teachers mm-hmm. that really impacted your life in such a way that you find yourself following mm-hmm. uh, some of the, the the skills and some of the suggestions that they made. So yeah. talk about education and how you ended up in education. I love leadership. That. I love that, LD. So I, I don't, I mean, let's be real for a minute. Is it always like, like really fluffy and special to be who you are? Sometimes no. it's, right? Oh, no. Sometimes, Sometimes you're like, what is wrong with me? <laughs> Like, why is this the authentic me? And I, I have to say, I, um, it's not always fluffy and special to be who I am. And um, so for me, education has a hold of me. 
education is more as much a calling as a choice, right? Because I could be making a lot more money. I could be taking better care of myself elsewhere. And every time I branch out into those spaces where I have more prestigious work or I'm more the center, I'm in the spotlight, it's my platform, that is never satisfies me. As a matter of fact, it exhausts me. But when I am, when I am contributing to um, women and men becoming themselves, having a deeper experience of themselves, learning, learning alongside, learning with, creating that safe environment, as people did for me, right? That right, that was the magic that I encountered in my life. I I always say education saved my life, and somehow in that saving my life, it caught me. Uh, and, and I didn't even know till I got much later and started experimenting. Um, this is now my third academic program I've created. So I got to be part of creating uh, a master's degree in data science, an undergraduate degree in data analytics. And then this, I'm the director of this MBA program, did the initial research, built it from the ground up. And um, I can't tell you how marvelously satisfying it is to bring my vision of love to this work. Well, you know, Lena, again, you hit on something else, is that a, a lot of young people I talk to, and some not so young, uh, say, well, you know what, if I go into public service or education, it doesn't give me the opportunity to create. And I love what you just oh. said. People oh. are so wrong. So I learned wrong. to be more creative and more innovative in public service that I then took over and transferred it to other areas. So talk some more about just being oh. able to, to be your authentic self. Giving uh, People have given you that space to do what you do best Mm -hmm. which is to create. And the, one of the things that I love most, and I'll give you a little kudo right here, when we worked together on that, that we only worked together once, but it was life-changing because what I liked mm -hmm. was the fact that you asked some great questions. Mm -hmm. It was always, tell me more. Now, now share a little bit more. And from that, you mushroomed out and started mm -hmm. talking about things and, and created some things that I use today. Okay. okay I bootlegged it. All right. You're just, you know, I believe in the case method. <laughs> That's right. E-A-S-E. Let's copy and steal everything. All right. Because <laughs> your stuff is good. So talk more about, you know, just getting that space in public service, in education, to create and to innovate. So talk more about that, please. You know, I think LD, what happens is people look at the constraints of these environments and say, oh, I couldn't do anything there. But it's exactly those constraints, the limited time, the limited budget, the mm. limited people. Mm -hmm. Those limitations are exactly where we can be most creative. And 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 these environments need us, right? Don't they? Did it haven't you found your whole career? Yes, absolutely. And they, they need our passion. Us. Yes. Go ahead. What was that? T say that. I said, look, there's the teacher in her, guys. You see her grabbing for more. I said, these environments embrace us. Embrace. And, you know, the, the who you talked about that beyond these uh, the fluffy stuff, the prickly stuff, the, mm. the really kind of ooey gooey parts of us. These environments, these institutions embrace us, number one, because we are unique. We are not, you know, we're not doo yik no. We're not just kind of drones going along. We come into it, everybody's wearing gray, and we come in wearing bright red. And people embrace us, right? <laughs> That's right. 
Oh, that's beautiful the way you say that. We come in wearing bright red. And, and that is such a great metaphor because I, I know that one of my jobs is to make people uncomfortable. I make people inside, I make, you know, I make lifers inside the educational system uncomfortable. And I'll come back to my word of love. I operate out of a basis of love and not, you know, not kissy face. You know, I'm sweet on you, honey, love. But I mean, the deep stuff that takes the big, hard, deep, wide work. And um, so if I'm going to be here in this institution, I'm going to love it. I'm going to hold in my heart that it can be the very, it, can, it is possible to be an amazing institution. And how many of us can look at our public institutions and say it's not there yet? Right, right, right. And I can contribute. And I'm going to show up inside. And just the very fact that I believe we can do this makes a difference before I do any work. Right. And the, and the fact that I love the people I'm with, I notice who they are. I notice what they're bringing and I, and I notice what our uniqueness is. So what can we do together here and now that will make this institution what we want to be? And you know what, what we want to be in higher ed is we're about citizenship. We're about transformation. We're about wealth of the nation, wealth of the community. We are as multidimensional as wealth gets, right? We want to raise up the community at and the people at every single level. I don't I don't know that it gets better than that. I don't think it does. <laughs> <laughs> Talk some some more about how, you know, when you were coming into an institution, coming into an organization or a space and everyone is uncomfortable with you, talk about how do you work beyond the uncomfortableness and get to a place that we can collaborate you may not agree with me, but you can at least give me, oh, well, okay, I'll give you a, a shot at convincing me or at least uh, bringing me over to your side. So talk a little bit more about going from uncomfortableness to a place where you can all mm -hmm. work collaboratively. LD, it's all about listening, isn't it? It's when, it's when you made that hand gesture and I said, tell me more about that. Because there, you were saying something very, very important. It was important to you. You had to vocalize it with your body. And if we listen to one another, most people aren't being paid attention to. Right? And so if we listen to one another, so the fur, the what I like to do is listen to an institution. So I'll be really concrete. When I, I was at the institution, did the research for the MBA, got to come work with you at CCL, and then got to come back and actually launch the MBA. And the first thing I did with my partner, Leah Rose, uh, she and I did this whole thing together right from the beginning. And then we brought in another team member, Lori Brandt. And now there's four of us. All, this is all part-time work for us, by the way. We have other gigs too. And so... So the four of us working together. But anyway, Leah and I took my office and we, we put up experience maps. And at the center was an experience map of the student experience we wanted to create. But we didn't forget about the other experiences. And so we created a faculty experience and we created an internal partner experience map and an external. And everything keyed off of the student experience from prospective student until uh, engaged alumni. And then we said, how are we going to make this vision happen? And then we thought about what do we have to do in all these places? And LD, you know what one of the things we had to do is um, you've worked with faculty before and you know how critical and, and um, 
smart we are and capable we are. And so we listened to these capable people and the things that they were concerned about, and we took them seriously. And because we did, we, we improved their experience. One of the things we did is we wrote bios on each of our students. We wrote these amazing bios. Actually, we had a student, a graduate assistant, write them, right? So we gave them a job that they could put in their portfolio. They wrote these amazing bios. And our faculty walked into the room, right? So we we built a program that addressed all of the faculty concerns and doubts, And then they walked into a program and they had these amazing students in front of them that they knew before day one. So it's, it's multiple levels of listening. Mm -hmm. I I love what you just said about uh, most people are not, are not listened to. They're not heard. And so when people lean in, hear them, not just, not just see them, but hear them. And I love what you said about, these were their concerns. These were some of their issues. You address those. So that kind of broke down a whole lot of barriers. If I'm on a job and I, and I, have, mm. a, I have a career in a space and I mm. am feeling, which I'm hearing and I know you are too, hearing folks say, I just don't feel valued anymore. Mm. Mm. Uh, everything is shifting. And, and we talked about this before our conversation started is the one thing we know that K, uh, that COVID has taught us is that anything is possible. Anything. And I think anything is possible. Who would have thunk it? Okay, That's I'm right. That's right, LD. Who would have thunk it that, uh, that here we, we, we were, we were basically sheltered in place for a year. I mean, we are, we are a mega power in the world and we're sheltered yeah. in place for yeah. a year. Yeah. So if anything, we, sh- we can take away from that whole COVID experience, which is, which is still going on, mm. but not as intensely, is that anything is possible. Mm. So what mm. would you say to a career corporate person or someone that's in another industry that is considering looking at a different uh, approach or a different uh, career path? like kind of what you did, like a Mm -hmm. a career path shifting from maybe corporate America or another industry into public service, whether it be education or another, what would you say to them? Start conversations with people about things that you're passionate about, that you're interested in, understand your talent and, and, and start conversations about where your talent might fit. What I would say you absolutely don't want to do is go on Indeed and start applying for jobs. You want to what you want to do is you want to find the place it the the place in whatever uh, e- employment ecosystem you want to be a part of. You want to find a place where you're going to fit and make a difference. The jobs come after that. The invitations come after that. So you know technically, if you want a template for how to do this, it's informational interviewing. And you can, if you Google that, you'll find, I would, I would Google executive informational interviewing, but these are 20 to 30 minute conversations that you have where you're setting yourself up to listen to someone else. And, and this is a magical act, right? When you listen to people, they want to listen to you. They're curious about who you are. And so just starting those conversations can create new pathways. At the heart of that, though, you have to know a little bit about who you are and what you want. And I don't mean from a job perspective. I mean, so for me, so when I was talking about the experience maps, what did I do? I, I listed the people I work with, right? Why? Because I need to do things in a team. I, I believe in that adage, never go alone. 
<laughs> and right. So I know that I need to be in it with other people. Uh, I know that I need to be able to laugh. I know that I need to be able to care deeply. Those are things that anywhere I work, if, if those can't be fulfilled, I shouldn't be there. So know yourself, start conversations with people. Don't get attached to a single path, but let that path emerge before you follow your energy, follow your passion. And that all sounds trite, but you can, um, you can actually, and I teach this to MBA students all the time, you can systematize that work. So just because it's emergent doesn't mean it's aimless. What is emergent is where you're going to end up, where the fit is. What isn't is the process of going about looking for it. That's systematic. Oh, girl, talk more about that. Oh, you got me. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> I hate that you left. You know, I do. But we're still connected. Go ahead. Talk a little Go bit more ahead. about that. I love what well, you said about emergent and the difference between emergent and aimless. It's not aimless. It's the process may be, yeah. but the end is not. So talk more about that. You know, when we're the kind of person that I think you're serving and that is probably listening to this, we are go-to people. We actually assemble go-to people, right? You, you get into a space on that. And, and you're not going to jump into another career and be the go-to person who calls all the go-to people together. You're right. So there's a level of vulnerability to this shift. And it feels scary. It feels like you're putting a lot at risk. You've got to have, you've got to have your money plan together. You've got to have your family plan together. Your, your, whoever your significant others are, the people in your life who care about you, you need them in on this. You need your professional board of directors in on this. And you need to st structure a process. So maybe it's, I'm going to talk to three people a week. And I'm just going to do that relentlessly. And I'm going to keep notes as I do that. And at the end of every conversation, I'm going to ask them, who else do you think I should be talking to? And most of the time, you're going to be asking questions about the industry, about the jobs. You're going to say a little bit about yourself. And you might ask a question, you know, having talked to me now for 20 minutes, having, you know, heard what you have about me, is there any, any place that you think I might fit in? right? Whatever system you're in, or you're talking to somebody about, you're doing the informational interview and it'll be amazing what emerges for you. And, you, and, you know, um, I think that a lot of people think it should be easy or it should be a, a, a just a smoother transition, but you've just said it. it, it takes time. It takes us putting in the, putting in the work uh, to do the research, to decide where is the best fit for me, not job title, but where's the best fit for me? And I think, uh, as you know, a lot of folks like us in that whole bracket, the whole demographic, is that by the time you reach our age, unlike you, you know, you may be hopping around saying, hey, I've done all I could do here. I'm going to retire and I'm going to look at something else. And that's something else, which is what we're saying. It, it could be in public service. I love what you, the, the way you described uh, what what the uh, the university system does. Mm. We're looking to elevate. We're looking at citizenship and those kinds of things. And I think in this current backdrop with social injustice and a lot of disarray in a lot of communities, I think what you do and what people in public service continue to do is so critically important, mm. not just for the environment, not just for the organization, but for the nation and, mm -hmm. and our communities as whole. Because we need more people to say, 
I will make that personal sacrifice to, to do and to be involved in something for the greater good. Mm-hmm. I think uh, you and I both came along during the time of the 80s when it was all about me, me, me. Mm-hmm. And I think it's shifting to where people are looking more. I've done well. I love what you said. I want to do well for myself and do well for others. As we look at going forward and doing, we most of us are, have done very, very well. I said to a friend of mine yesterday, we are very blessed. We have great, mm-hmm. we live great lives. Mm-hmm. Now, what more can we do uh, mm-hmm. to ensure that others have the same opportunity? May mm-hmm. not have the same level of success, but have the same opportunities. And that's mm-hmm. where I believe public service and higher education come in. Say more about that. I've talked enough. I really want to hear from you because I just get giddy every time we have a chance to talk. So let me tell you about one interesting um, track we ended up with in our program. So first we thought we were going to have an MBA in analytics because that was the hot new topic and we figured there'd be a huge demand for that. Our research said no. Our research said that both employees and employers in our region wanted an applied leadership program. So we have an MBA in applied leadership and decision-making, 36 credits. Nine of those credits are our elective track. And I think probably the most innovative thing that we've done is how we allow students to use those nine credits. Not everybody uses them this way, but we've got some real superstars who have used them uh, for fellowships. So let me say a little bit about what I mean for fellowships. So uh, in our program, 15 credits are for applied leadership and decision-making, all those core MBA courses. Then we've got three credits for professional development. That's where I do executive coaching with every student in the program. We meet three times for one credit classes. Um, And then we've got this really interesting little nine credit track called Thriving Communities. And we teach students about economic indicators at the international and national level and how they impact industries and local regions. We have an amazing instructor teaching kind of some pretty pretty big revolutionary ideas about economic development. He calls them people-centered economic development. And then we have what I'm teaching right now, the Wisconsin Leadership Seminar where we get students in front of uh, C-suite leaders in the region, in the state. On top of that, students can also use those nine credits of electives to create fellowships. And what what our students are doing in our fellowships are phenomenal. So those nine credits translate into 360 hours of service and consulting with local nonprofits. So they enter into a partnership with a area nonprofit and even some for-profit. So let me spotlight somebody that I've just, I've just been in love with all year. And this is uh, Quinn Hong. Quinn is an entrepreneur in our area. She is uh, between her 30s and 40s. Uh, she is a, a mom in a, in a family. Her husband is also an entrepreneur. She's made a huge impact in our community in terms of the way she does retail. She does relational retail and at her shop assembly shop. Uh, she joined our MBA. It took her a while to decide to join our MBA. And we knew she wanted to do a fellowship, but we couldn't figure out how to structure it. So we decided no structures what we what she needed. And we created an entrepreneur in residence position for her. When she had first interviewed with me for the job, she had um, looked at our, you know, I did this big pitch on, you'll get to hang out with all these C-suite leaders. And she leaned over the table and she said, well, where are the women? 
And we had fewer women than men. I'm happy to say that Quinn Hom now serves on that committee as a woman, as a woman of color, as a leader in our community, a small business. Mostly we have large businesses represented. So she's bringing all kinds of diverse voices to that group of leaders. In addition to that, I gave her the freedom to craft whatever she wanted to do for her fellowship. So one of the first things she did is she started telling stories about the MBA program. So she did these Instagram lives and got thousands of people learning about our MBA program, partnered with another one of our fellows, uh, Leah Knights, who was our first fellow. Um, and then she had always dreamed of starting a, uh, she has a scholarship that she runs through her business would give $1,000 a year. She wanted to endow that scholarship so that no matter what she was doing, she'd have, uh, it, that scholarship would run, right? No matter what her business does, that scholarship would be alive and well. Quinn Hom is on the verge of raising $50,000 to endow that scholarship in just a few months time. And she did, and so notice what we did. We gave her no constraints and said, do, do what you want because we trust you. And look at the level of service that she is, she is getting to. It's, a, it's just amazing for me. That scholarship is focused on non-traditional and BIPOC students. And so she has a real vision coming out of her mother's story, who uh, her mom immigrated from Vietnam. And um, it's a beautiful story. So I'll give you the URL and maybe you'll post it. Yeah. So, okay. So we have, this is just one fellowship story, but the, so higher education is a beautiful platform to, to inculcate people in the ongoing continuous work of public service, because I think that no matter what we're doing, we're always serving the public. So our students are employed at, I'm trying to remember, I, they're employed at 50 some odd, you know, maybe like 40 some odd unique organizations. They volunteer at 97 unique organizations. Wow. One of the things that I'm hearing throughout that's a red thread is your passion. Mm. That's what I'm hearing. And, and I, and I love the fact that you talked about how you've used your passion to continue to serve the public and there's space for others that may want to consider uh, a move to public service. And I love what Lena did. She outlined for everyone how to do that, how to go about it, to go about it as strategically as possible while yet and still, still serving yourself and your family, your loved ones. So Lena, I want to thank you for being on today. You always intrigue and energize me. And the next time I'm, I'm in Wisconsin, I'll have to stop by. You know, Please. She, she, she and I worked together guys for about a hot minute, okay? <laughs> a hot minute, but it was a sizzling hot minute uh, because she and I worked so well together. Lena, are there any parting words that you'd like to share with our audience about what you're doing, public service, higher education, anything you want to share? Yeah. Uh, one, be good to educators. They are working harder than you know. Um, but two, be good to yourself. And for me, that's living the yes and life, the both and. You can be both. You can serve with a great passion and generosity, and you can also take care of yourself and your families. Yes and. 
Yes, and guys, Dr. Lena Matezzi, I love her like a sister from another Woo! That's Lena, right. thank you so much for being on. Hey, guys, enjoy the rest of your Friday. Thanks for joining us. Bye, Lena. Bye, LD. Thanks for tuning in and for supporting me. I don't take your support for granted. I am both grateful and humbled. Join us next week for another episode. And remember to subscribe and ask others to subscribe. Go to our website at commonsenseleadership.org for more detail. Thank you and have a great day. This podcast and omni-channel experience is brought to you by the Walter Cates Foundation the entertainment and telecommunication industry's leading national foundation dedicated to advocacy around diversity, equity, and inclusion. And we are proud to have them as our signature partner. We are very grateful for their generosity and for their support. To learn more, visit waltercates.org. Thank you for joining Common Sense Leadership Podcast with your host, Dr. L.D. Bennett. Visit our website, commonsenseleadership.org for more details. See you next week.